the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty then. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It's 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are ready to rock and or roll as the situation requires on this Thursday, the ninth morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Thank you so much for being with us. Coming up on the program, we're going to have a couple of great conversations as we try to bring you each and every day. Uh, today's conversations are going to be with Dr. Everett Piper at 1010. He has got some whoppers for us today. Dr. Piper is, of course, um, our general, uh, the general of our army, at least the one that I follow in the culture wars. Uh, I feel like I can trust him. He's been, uh, he's been spot on every step of the way. And he's got some uh, whoppers today that we are going to discuss, uh, including Catholic churches questioning the gender of God, considering, not in the United States at this moment, but overseas, considering changing references to God the Father and God the Son to gender-neutral gender terms. This is getting serious. This is no longer just a game. This is no longer just a, you know, a, a ridiculous, trendy wokeism. 
this LGBTQ movement intended to warp the preformative minds of young kids. They're going after they're going after our God now. And Dr. Piper will talk to us about that amongst amongst a number of other things. He is also livid, by the way, Dr. Piper is at the latest um, expanded, incredible, unbelievable, shocking Democrat style attack that is being made on Governor Ron DeSantis, not by Democrats, but by President Trump. Uh, Dr. Piper is livid about that. And guess what? So am I. So am I. Thank goodness there is an adult in the room right now, and that adult is Ron DeSantis. President Trump is about two steps away from accusing Ron DeSantis of having rape parties like Brett Kavanaugh, as he uh, reposted and tweeted, or rather truth socialed, uh, a picture of Ron DeSantis posing with some of his students back when he was in his 20s and he was teaching at a boarding school. Uh, accusing him of grooming these young uh, uh, high school seniors. Accusing him of grooming them. That's what the posts that he retweeted said, and he mockingly and sarcastically said, Ron DeSantis, no, that couldn't be. I mean, we're talking about literally Kavanaugh-esque stuff here. What they did to Brett Kavanaugh, President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, was unconscionable trying to go back into his younger years and paint him as being some sort of an alcoholic who ran rape rings. Now now, now, Ron DeSantis, the champion of protecting children from the LGBTQ community in, in, uh, uh, in Florida, is, is a groomer? It's, it's, it is unconscionable. It is impossible for me to understand. President Trump is driving some of his most ardent supporters away with this latest uh, attack line, um, and with good reason. Like I said, it's very Democrat-like. So we'll talk about that with Dr. Piper, all of that coming up at uh, 1010 this morning. At 1110, we're going to talk to Akash Choguli, or Choguli. I'm going to get that right by the time he comes on the air, I promise you. I'm not sure which one it is yet, uh, but we're going to get it on. He is the vice president of AFP. That's Americans uh, for Prosperity. Choguli is what I'm going with as I look at the pronunciation guide. Akash Chogali is what I'm going to run with. Anyway, we're going to talk to him about the, the State of the Union. AFP uh, has put together a very good response to the uh, PACO lies that was presented by Joe Biden, which, by the way, the Ohio Press Network, terrific job by Jeff Snook, described as uh, uh, Pinocchio Joe delivering a fantasy speech in the State of the Union, fact-checked up one side and down the other by actual fact-checkers and not the mainstream media uh, providing cover for uh, Let's Go Brandon. But really good stuff there. We're going to talk to Akash Chogali about that from uh, um, Americans for Prosperity. That'll be at 1110 this morning. So we got a lot to do. Uh, and, of course, the most important guest that I have for you each and every day is you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Coming up, by the way, we're also going to have an update on the Wadsworth story. We talked to uh, Tom uh, Wyand the Medina County Republican Party Executive Director about this couple of days ago that there was a planned drag show slash drag story hour for, quote, all ages, bring the kiddos at a business in Wadsworth. And we talked to Tom about it. We talked about the response to it. 
there were all kinds of uh, groups and organizations ready to protest this thing peacefully because of the grooming nature of what these drag shows are. And this particular drag queen that they had uh, booked for this event in Wadsworth on March 11th was not your typical drag queen. This was the drag queen of the macabre. And if you know anything about what that means, it's basically a celebration of death, the celebration of, of, of horror. Uh, this is who was going to read and then perform for the children. Um, to say that the response to that was, was immense as soon as it was announced is an understatement. In fact, the response was so strong that the business in question, the Wadsworth Brewing Company in Wadsworth, posted on their Facebook page yesterday, they've canceled. Now they weren't hosting it or they were hosting it they weren't they weren't the ones who were putting the event on they just somebody needed a venue the individual who uh, put the thing on needed a venue and they agreed to be that venue then once they heard from the community in what is a very conservative you know community of Medina County it's a very red community once they heard that this was not going to go well for them from in terms of a business standpoint uh the loss of business is what i believe to be what led them to cancel the event, and they posted a notification on their Facebook page, which, again, I'll get into all this in more depth later, saying the reason they're canceling is because they've received threats. They've received threats from the conservatives who are homophobes and transphobes and the LGBT uh, um, bigots, or the bigots uh, who hate LGBT, rather, are threatening the business. And so in deference to the security of their family, they've regrettably canceled the event. I call hogwash on that, and uh, I called it online yesterday, and kind of find out if I wasn't right. I'll explain that coming up in just a bit. But the top story of the day is going to be, well, a different kind of hogwash. Nobody's covering this, or very scant coverage is being given to this. But you know Joe Brandon's plan to forgive at least $10,000 in federal student loan debt to recent college graduates or upcoming college graduates in full violation, by the way, of the Constitution? Well, there's a twist. The student loan bailout that could cost you and me and every taxpayer collectively billions of dollars, there's a, there's a new twist. It is going to be tilted not just to every college graduate, but specifically to left-wing majors and courses of study college graduates. You know, the lefties that want to major in gender studies, the lefties that want to major these these young, impressionable, confused Gen Zers who want to major in black queer theology and all of these other very bizarre things for which there will be no income, no job waiting for them on the other side unless they become professors of black queer uh, theology. Um, So the Biden administration now has a new plan to make sure that those who major in those particular courses of study that aren't very high-paying, that there's not much reward on the other end of the risk, of these massive loans, they're going to be the ones who get the income or the uh, the uh, uh, loan bailouts, and those who actually graduate with a degree that pays them something will have to pay back all of their loans. You think I'm kidding? 
I've got some some numbers and some statistics for you uh, that'll blow your mind. And if you are a taxpayer, and, and by the way, it shouldn't matter what the major or the course of study is. It does now because they made it so. But anybody who has taken out student loans, graduated from college, and then paid them back, and yes, my hand is in the air. I'm among them. Anybody who has done that who sees this happening right now should be livid. Because you know what we should be doing is screaming for reparations. Where's our money? We paid back our loans, and you're giving forgiving these people their loans, then you owe me as well. Fundamental fairness demands that. But fundamental fairness has never been in the lexicon of the Biden administration, or quite frankly, in the Democrat Party uh, writ large. So I'm going to share the details of that story, but not until we start with our Pledge of Allegiance. So, Patriots, please stand. I know this is so important to you. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in denialism as being the way to defeat an intellectual or ideological argument, well, then you don't understand or believe in what that flag represents anyway. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback while the rest of us pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I'll explain denialism, and I'll tell you more about the pl- uh, the uh, Biden plan to screw over successful college graduates to reward the uh, the idiots. That's coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 924. Not a lot of uh, news outlets and broadcasts and podcasts and shows and so forth are, are covering this, and I kind of think it should be. Uh, Fox put a little piece out on it, but not nearly enough in my view. This latest grabbing of your tax dollars and mine to reward students who go to college and who don't get degrees in anything that will pay back, that will that will make their college investment worth it, their tuition costs and room and board and everything else. So we all know that Biden, of course, in a, in a blatant attempt to uh, get uh, young voters to vote Democrat and support him, remember, nobody turns away and bites the hand that feeds them. If the hand that's feeding them is feeding them free college educations and college tuitions, even if they don't get their degrees, don't make them pay back their uh, college uh, loans, yeah, uh, of course you're going to be wanting to support that party and those individuals. So this is a blatant um attempt to pull in young voters, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds, are already being indoctrinated by left-wing college professors anyway. But now uh, this is just a, another way to, ice, or to uh, ensure that they are going to remain loyal Democrat voters is to pay back their, their loans. But this is, going to, this is going to another level here. So the student loan debt amnesty that Biden has already put in place is now caught up in the courts. It has been uh, branded and ruled unconstitutional. They are appealing, and it's going to work its way all the way up. And, of course, it's unconstitutional. It is There is no basis in, in law whatsoever for this. But while that sits in the, in the court system right now, Biden is trying another, described by Fox as backdoor attempt, to have you and me and all of us paying off some of these young students' loans. Through massive changes to the income-driven repayment program, which is already a a generous federal benefit to college graduates, this one 
would choose what are being referred to as low-return majors. This one would take those low-return majors and make them eligible for monies to pay back their loans or loan forgiveness that people who get into majors that actually pay something when you get out of the workforce, uh, they won't be eligible for. Large taxpayer subsidies to students who choose gender studies, for example, while students in engineering have to repay their loans in full. The rule would do this. It would increase the amount of income that is exempt from calculating student loan payments. In other words, money you, 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 know, you are exempted from having to pay back. From 150% to 225% of the federal poverty line. That's about $30,600 which individuals aged 22 to 31, the recent college graduates, puts them in the 65th percentile for earnings. Hardly something that should qualify for them to make $0 monthly payments, as the rule would. And for many borrowers, the regulation would also reduce from 20 to just 10 years, the amount of time before any remaining debt is fully forgiven by taxpayers. Now, under the current rules, for example, a gender studies or sociology or philosophy major who graduates with $30,000 in debt and earns the median salary for his or her field, would repay her loans in full. But the new rule that Biden wants to put in place here, the income-driven repayment plan, would slash her monthly payments so much that she uh, she would not even have to pay interest on her loans for the first 13 years. Not even interest. And then after 20 years, she'll have 27000 of her $30,000 forgiven, 90% of what she originally borrowed. All because she majored in a, a field and got a degree in a field that there are no jobs in. And if there are, they pay squat, right? Now contrast that with an engineering major, somebody who goes in, and says, I know what I want to do, I want to take a, a, a course of study, I want, to, I want to participate in that's going to give me a great career, a great life, uh, you know, a, a high income, so I can start my family and pursue the American dream. So this guy goes in, or, or girl goes in, as an engineering major, and comes out with $30,000 in debt, just like the psych, uh, philosophy or the gender studies major. But if the engineering major comes out and earns the median salary for his field or her field, that engineer has to repay the entirety of the loans in 16 years, uh, receiving no forgiveness whatsoever. According to an analysis by the left-leaning Urban Institute, 22% of four-year college graduates who repay their loans through the new plan will never make a single payment on their loans. Taxpayers will assume those debts in full. You and I will pay those back for them. Borrowers who finance their tuition with loans will receive essentially free college, but only if they choose a field with low expected returns. And what are those? The left-wing studies uh, areas of gender studies and race studies and queer theology and philosophy and sociology and all of the rest. The left-wing students taking left-wing courses to get left-wing degrees, to go into left-wing fields of work where they can't get jobs and make money, they get to go for free. Just when you think you've seen it all from the Biden administration, again, knowing that his first plan for student loan debt forgiveness, which is nothing more than a gather votes from the youngsters plan, 
is is caught up in court because the, the courts have ruled it to be what it is very obviously and unconstitutional. He's taking it to another level. You need to be aware of this. You need to be letting your members of Congress know about this because this is the kind of thing. Uh, you know, remember, the Congress controls the purse strings, and right now the GOP controls the Congress. This is the kind of thing they need to be aware of. It's 930. Always Right Radio is right back after the news. AM 1420, The Answer. In the age of unreason, always write radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, let's uh, let's talk about reason in the age of unreason. That's pretty good bump back for us here. And by the way, phone lines are open at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Either one of those numbers will get to us. Don't forget, got uh, Doctor Everett Piper coming up at ten ten. Looking forward to that conversation a lot. And then we're going to talk uh, with the uh, Vice President of Americans for Prosperity coming up at 11.10 this morning about Biden's uh, live festival from, uh, uh, from uh, Tuesday night. I want, to, I want to talk about this story about denialism. I found this to be a very interesting piece in uh, Brownstone from the Brownstone Institute, brownstone.org, if you're looking for it, from Thomas Buckley. What is what is the easiest way to win an argument with somebody over something scientific? The answer to that question, according to the American left and according to the media, is to denounce a person who doesn't believe in the uh, your your postulate as a denier. If someone says, "I don't think that the coronavirus is deadly to me or to," 99% of the population, because we're not over 65 or 70 years of age with comorbidities, that person is denounced as what? A COVID denier. A science denier. If someone says, okay, I do believe that it is a very dangerous uh, pathogen, this virus, I do believe it's dangerous for a lot of people, but the best way to prevent, or not the best way, but uh, the stronger um, method of, of stopping yourself from becoming infected is to use your natural immunity. Particularly if you do become infected, symptomatic or not, but if you do become infected and you start building antibodies, it is a far better way to prevent reinfection than using these... Um, lab-created, Petri-dish-created mRNA vaccines that are going to inject spike proteins into your immune system, putting yourself at risk, well, you're going to be called a a vaccine denier. Uh, Another way of saying a science denier. If you take a look at all of the data available on climate, global warming charges, if you look at all of it, and not just the, the data that is presented by the mainstream media, which makes a point of censoring, silencing, suppressing, and canceling any, doc, any scientists who come up with different data about the real threat of quote-unquote man-made global warming, you are, of course, a global warming denier, a climate change denier. Denialism is the best way to dismiss somebody as a kook. 
Bottom line is, that's what, it does. Well, that's what it is. It's the best way to say, you don't count, you're just a denier. It's like they, they equate you to what? To being a flat earther. If you don't believe in the, their narrative, the narrative of the globalists, the narrative of the CDC, which is essentially in uh, the pocket of the globalists, you know, the United Nations, the International, or the, uh, uh, International Monetary Fund, the World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, all of them, if you don't subscribe to their narrative, you are dismissed as a flat earther uh, who just doesn't believe in science. You're probably a religious zealot. You're probably somebody who thinks that God is going to handle all of these things rather than man through the magic of science. And, uh, and you're, you're just a kook. So denialism has become essentially the foolproof way of dismissing arguments and information and intelligence that clashes with the prevailing narrative. And it's something we need to recognize and we need to be able to push back against. Labeling someone who disagrees with the current standard think, writes Thomas Buckley, as a denier has become endemic among the woke. COVID denier, climate denier, election denier, science denier, all bandied about to immediately end debates. That's where the debate ends. You're a denier, therefore you don't count. It tars anyone with a difference of opinion as literally insane. It depicts anyone who ever disagrees with you as stupid and evil and backwards and uncultured and uneducated. This epithet is now being used preemptively to make sure that no matter what, anyone who now or ever questions the move to ban gas stoves, for example, will not be doing so based on facts or logic, but because of their gas stove denialism. That's a thing among the woke. They literally are, are really running with this now. Like so much woke terminology, the initial meaning of the term is far removed from its current usage, though it has a distinct advantage of being generally familiar, allowing it to be Trojan-horsed into public discourse. Common usage of the term in denial seemed to come from uh, come to the fore mostly in regards uh, to an inability to face up to an obvious, almost always personal truth. If you're in denial about your drinking, right? You're in denial. You're an alcoholic in denial that makes you dangerous. If you're in denial about the fact that your kids are actually monsters because you only see the good in them. If you're in denial about your own sexuality, nothing to do with today's gender palooza, and on and on and on. Being a denier, being in denial makes you weaker, makes you dumber, makes you less serious when it comes to having a, having a role or a say in this current uh, national societal discussion, whichever one it is. But in almost every case in which the woke have stolen a term from the self-help therapy movement, the term has been bastardized. For example, trigger and safe space are now used in the opposite way of their original intent. All of these terms started as a way to focus on personal responsibilities and actions and not in any way, shape, or form carrying societal baggage and or implications. But then there was a shift. In the 1980s, there was a shift. There are those who sadly and stupidly became Holocaust deniers. They denied that the Holocaust ever happened. They think the whole thing was a massive production that was created by globalists in order to bring about uh, the Second World War. Hitler didn't kill millions of Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and the disabled and political, political opponents. No, he didn't kill those. 
The term Holocaust denier then became an accurate and correct description of someone who, despite overwhelming physical evidence of the event, denies its occurrence. Almost always because of their own personal political ideology. And it's, it's crucial to emphasize that denying the Holocaust happened is very, very different from the current um, crop of denialism that is being thrown around. The former involves a very specific proven fact. The Holocaust happened. The latter, being a climate denier, being an election denier, being a COVID or a COVID vax denier, all involve differences of opinions and reasonable and appropriate debates that ought to be able to be held over this, which are not allowed because you are labeled as a denier. Do you, do you face this in your, in your online conversations and debates, personal conversations and debates with family members or friends or neighbors or people in your social group? Do you ever get labeled as a denier? What they're doing is they're essentially saying, you're no better than the Holocaust deniers. You just refuse to accept factual truths. If you deny climate, you would deny the Holocaust. They're trying to break you down and label you as somebody who is too stupid, too dense, or too stubborn to admit the truth. Holocaust deniers, flat earthers, yeah, That's what you're lumping yourself in. And most people are too terrified to push back against that, so they stop their quote-unquote denialism. They change their views, or they just don't talk about it anymore. Okay, well, I'm not a denier. I'm not a science denier. I believe in science, and I know the Holocaust existed. Okay, maybe global warming is a problem, but you know we still probably can't do much about it. And all of a sudden, they've broken you. All of a sudden, they've taken you down. I'm not a Holocaust denier. I'm not a flat earther. I know science knows a lot more than I do. Fine, I'll take the jab. Of course, I know it's going to be okay. They break you down by calling you a denier. I know Biden won the election fair and square. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was there were a lot of things, but you know, nothing has ever been proven in court. So, yeah, I accept the election results, and I don't think there's any fraud whatsoever. They're breaking you down. Why? Not because of the issue at hand, but because in the future you will stay silent. If you accept their admonition that you are a denier, if you accept that to deny anything that the prevailing narrative says is true now, that it makes you like a Holocaust denier, you're going to stay silent. At least those who are easily cowed, that's what they're going to do. I hope that's not you. I hope you don't let them win the battle, the ideological battle, the academic battle, the, the, the common sense battle of what's going on in front of you because you are going to be lumped into the group of Holocaust deniers or people with that mindset. The debate over climate change is one that should be taken seriously and done completely impartially. The discussion around the glaring voting security issues that appeared in 2020 should be considered dispassionately. Similarly, 
the science denier uh, denier epithet attached to uh, anyone who won- wondered about the risk and efficacy of these vaccines is especially egregious because science cannot, by definition, be believed or denied. While technically a noun, science is in fact a verb. It's a process. It's a noun. We talk about science, the subject, but it is a verb. Science is ever moving. It is indeed an active process. And one cannot follow the science just as one cannot follow a car one is driving. If you're in it, you can't be following it. It's constantly moving, and it's constantly changing. It's constantly being developed. It's constantly being discovered. Climate denialism implies ostrich-like stupidity. How can a person possibly disagree with the fact that we're all either going to drown or burn or freeze or something because the climate is changing? What are you, you got your head in the sand? Don't you know it's coming? Never mind the fact that we're just 50 years removed from the entire prevailing narrative being that we're going to freeze to death in a new ice age. In over 50 years, that's just shy of my lifespan, if they've gone from we're not going to freeze to death, holy cow, the planet is going to boil. The oceans are going to rise because of, because of global warming. It's creating, it's creating drought. It's creating starvation. It's creating pestilence. It's, it's warm. Don't you know that? They were certain 50 years ago that we were going to freeze to death. Now they want to tell us this. And now when evidence is brought up by those who don't subject themselves to silence and suppression because uh, by the denialist label or the denier label, when they come forward with new information that says, no, we're not going to burn. No, the planet is not going to increase by massive temperatures that are going to cause the polar ice caps to melt and the oceans to rise. When evidence is, is brought forth by those that they cannot silence and cancel, that's when they say, okay, uh, but the climate's going to change. One way or another, we might not have an ice age. And we might not have a, 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 a massive new heated climate that makes this earth uninhabitable, but it's going to change one of those directions somehow, you know. So global warming gave way what? How long ago? 15 years ago-ish? Al Gore in 2000, when he was still running, so that's 22 years ago, was giving speeches about how the planet has a fever. And what do you do when you get a fever? You go to the doctor. Remember his ridiculous speeches about global warming? It was all of the evidence. All of it. Science was settled, they said. And the only person who didn't believe the settled science that the planet was warming and that the planet had a fever were whom? The deniers. You know, like those Holocaust deniers. The people that have their head in the sand because they don't want to see the truth that is coming and bearing down on them like a freight train. Only the deniers would say that the planet isn't warming. That was 22 years ago. Now they've dropped the global warming label. And they just refer to it all as climate change. This way, in another 10, 12, 15, 20 years, when they realize that not one single thing that they said was going to begin happening happens, they can say, go back to it and say, you know, current uh, models... Current scientific models by the meteorological and the uh, uh, you know the, the rest of the scientific community indicate that 
things are going to start to get very, very cold, colder winters than we have ever had, or colder winters than we've had in the last 200 years. And they're going to go back to the ice theory. Every 50 years or so, that's going to be what they do. They're going to change. That's why they've gone from uh, global freezing to global warming to now just climate change. And if you step in front of any of that and say, no, you were wrong before, and there is plenty of scientific evidence that you're wrong now, well, you're just a denier. And nobody wants to be called a denier. That's equated with being a Holocaust denier. That's equated with being somebody who thinks the earth is flat. And nobody wants to be accused of that. Nobody wants to be denigrated in such a way. And so what do people do when they don't want to be accused of stupidity, closed-mindedness, or anything else that gets in the way of the narrative that 90% of their neighbors are preaching? What do they do? What do they do? They shut up. They take the jab. They accept the new tax. They accept the new legislation that tells them they can't have a gas stove or drive a car with an internal combustion engine. They shut up and they remain silent because they don't want to swim against the tide. The tide that says, if you aren't with us, you're a denier. And if you're a denier, you're dismissed. It's a fascinating and devastating at the same time reality of what they are trying to do to us. I welcome your thoughts. It's 954. Always right radio right back after this. Got Dr. Everett Piper coming up after the top of the hour news. Let's squeeze in a call now from BJ in North Olmstead. BJ, good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call, Bob. Um, we're living in a, I'm telling you, we're living in a very strange time. There is a lot of fear. The fear is people don't really know what's going on or what to believe. There's anxiety, and a lot of the anxiety is very unfounded. We live in an amazing time in an amazing country, and yet, when I see the anxiety that there is with people, it's a little uh, bewildering. If our planet were not round but flat, we'd be looking, where is the end where does it fall off? Well, you can't fall off this planet by falling off the end of anything anymore, unless you're on a mountain. So the fear that we're dealing with is is mostly unfounded fear when we're living in the most beautiful place in, in the world, planet Earth. And I thank you for your time. You got it. Thank you, BJ, for the phone call. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's a thing. I mean, there was a time, obviously, when flat earthers did uh, reign. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the fact that there are some people, Kyrie Irving is an NBA all-star player, former Cavalier, of course, uh, won the championship for the Cavaliers in 2016 with one of the greatest shots in, in finals history. And uh, Kyrie Irving, I think, is a very, very um, interesting individual who likes to troll people. And he recently talked about, of course, the Earth is flat. What are you talking about? He deadpanned it so well, and for so long, people actually think he's a flat earther and now have dismissed him as being an insane person. He's not an insane person. He's a goofy person. He's a kooky person. But he has played the game and has played the role. And saying, I'm a flat earther, of course, is is you know part of what people have, have perceived to be his actual intelligence level. Well, that's what I mean. When you deny COVID, you deny science, or you deny uh, climate or whatever, you're like a flat earther, and they treat you the way they treat Kyrie Irving now. 
uh, yeah, this is a beautiful world. And uh, yes, it was created exactly the way God intended it to be created. Um, and you know what else God also intended for? He intended for us to use our brains and not cave in to the prevailing narrative. All right, it's uh, 10 o'clock news time. We're going to talk to Dr. Piper on the flip side. You're going to want to hear this conversation, trust me, on AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. That is who we are. That is what we are. Thanks for being with us. Nine minutes after 10 o'clock, and hour number two is underway. It is a Thursday, the ninth morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And uh, it's time to go to battle. The culture wars are real. And uh, one of our leading generals of this army is Dr. Everett Piper, who's back with us again. Dr. Piper is a best-selling uh, author. He is a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He is also a podcast slash radio host in Oklahoma. You should check out his podcast called The Rebellion. And uh, he's also a former university president and a current county commissioner in Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. Good morning. Hey, you know, every week I listen to the intro that you play before I come on the recording of Reagan. Mm-hmm. And I just have to stop and think, you know, are we, are we have we ever been any closer to sentencing our children to a thousand years of darkness like Reagan warned. I mean, every story you and I cover seems to be dangling on the precipice of that reality, doesn't it? It does. You're 100% right, and this morning is going to be no different when we get into some of these stories. Um, But it's... I mean, I don't want to oversell it, and I don't want to be melodramatic about it, but it terrifies me. And my children are grown, well, to the extent, I shouldn't say that. They're 21 and 19. But, I mean, they're not my little kids anymore. They're adults, uh, as it were. Um, But I worry about my grandchildren to come, and I worry about them beyond that. Dr. Piper, the world, I've said this before, and I think I may have even asked you to kind of put it into your own terms before, but... What will the history books, provided history books are still allowed to be written, what will they say a hundred years from now about this time, about the you know the advent of the twenty first century? What will they say about the period that we are in, we are in right now, uh, and what impact it had on what is left of our culture at that time? I really legitimately wonder that. And I don't think you are being melodramatic and uh, or hyperbolic or exaggerating, whatever word you want to use to describe the current state of affairs. I mean, how many times have you or I used the quote from George Santayana, he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them? There's no good reason for us or any other culture to believe that um, evil always loses. We've seen evil win in other cultures at other times. Uh, We've seen the consequences of Pol Pot in, in Cambodia. We've seen the consequences of Castro in Cuba. We've seen the consequences of... Lenin um, in, in, in Russia. We've seen the consequences that continue to play out uh, from the French Revolution and Robespierre and the killing of God and the elevation of the human being as if we are God. The Bible is clear. I mean, we're going to reap the consequences of our negative ideas and our sin. Now, as a Christian, I do believe, I've said it a thousand times over on your show, we know the end of the story. We know that we do win at the end of days, 
But we really have some battles before us right now, or our children and our grandchildren are going to suffer a lot less freedom than we've enjoyed up to this point in American history. Well, you're exactly right, and that's well said, and that's a good lead-in, I think, <clears throat> to um, uh, your column from this uh, this past Sunday, and I want to talk about whether or not Jesus was a Republican. You uh, you, you bring this up, and you talk about uh, some of the things that you hear, critics who think that by your writing and your, your speeches and maybe your radio and podcast program, that uh, you know, you think that only uh, Christians can only vote for Republicans, uh, and that you should be more open-minded. And uh, you talk about freedom, and you say, when you think, if you believe in freedom, you would vote for those who believe in less government rather than more. And I think that's uh, the lead-in I wanted to use from uh, where you just left off. Go ahead. Well, I, you know, I get it all the time. Um, I say something on your show or another show, or I write it in the Washington Times, and I'll get a progressive who might be listening in. And great, I'm glad they do. I'm glad they do listen in and get challenged by a conservative idea every once in a while. But inevitably, somebody will say, well, you're acting like you know Christians can only vote for Republicans. Jesus wasn't a Republican after all, you know. And as you know, in my column, I dismiss that out of hand. Of course he wasn't. Republicans didn't exist in Jesus' day. So that's just a foolish retort, and we just need to not waste any time on it. But I do think it's a good question to ask if Jesus could have voted, which he couldn't at the time because of Roman oppression, but if Jesus did have the liberty to vote, do we have any evidence as to who he would have voted for and who he would have not voted for? Um, So I make the argument here that Jesus wasn't all that harsh on Romans who were repentant, little surprising, they were occupiers of his land, but yet he shows compassion and forgiveness to the Roman centurion who says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. We know that he included a repentant tax collector, a traitor of Israel, Matthew, in his inner circle, and we also know that he included a repentant prostitute in his inner circle, Mary. So we know that Jesus may have voted for people who had done bad things, who had repented and converted toward living a godly life. Uh, If he could have voted, would he have voted for somebody that used to be a tax collector? Maybe. I don't know. But I do think we know from the narrative in the New Testament that Jesus probably would never have voted for a Pharisee, because they're the ones that get the tongue lashing (laughs) repeatedly. I mean, he calls them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, calls them vipers and snakes and wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus isn't very patient with hypocrites, people who claim to be one thing and then do another thing. I think that's why he was so critical. In fact, we know that's why he was critical of Pharisees. So if you apply that to the the current political discussion, would Jesus vote for a modern-day Pharisee? I don't think so. I think the Bible's clear. Well, who are modern-day Pharisees? Those that claim one thing and yet do another. Now, are there some Republicans that do that? Sure there are. But what has become so apparent in our daily lives is that people like Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi and AOC, the Democrats who say, you got to mask up, but yet we see them at parties without masks. We, the people that are, you know, they, they fly off in their private jets to the World Economic Forum, but yet they tell us we can't even drive our cars. I mean, these are hypocrites. And it seems very clear to me that Jesus wouldn't have voted for a Pharisee then, and he's not going to support them today either. In fact, he's telling us to judge them by their fruit. And I would argue you don't vote for somebody who's got bad fruit, the fruit of hypocrisy. And the Democrat Party is laden with it. 
Well, Dr. Piper, very well articulated and argued. Um, rather than trying to say again what you've already said so well, let's move on. Why did you refer to Jesus on all of that commentary you just made as he? You kept saying he, he, he. <laughs> the church, <laughs> the Church of England. This is this just blew me away. This is from Reuters. The Church of England is exploring the use of gender-neutral pronouns, or excuse me, gender-neutral terms, beg pardon, to refer to God. And, of course, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a believer in the Holy Trinity, God and Jesus are one and the same. And so referring to Jesus as a male, referring to God as a male, referring to the Father, referring to the Son, referring to He and capitalizing He and Him, etc., uh, is apparently going to be on the way out. Christians have recognized since ancient times that God is neither male nor female, yet the variety of ways of addressing and describing God found in Scripture has not always been reflected in our worship, end quote. That was from a spokesman for the Church of England. Now, we are the Church of America, but the Church is universal and worldwide, so we have to take this seriously. What do you say? Garbage. <laughs> it really is. I mean, okay, you don't get to define Christianity. I don't get to define Christianity. Biden doesn't, Pelosi doesn't, Donald Trump doesn't. Christianity already defined, thank you. You and I don't get to change the definition. And what do we know about Christianity? We know that Jesus himself is the ultimate definer of what that means, because he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. He's the second person of the triune God. So guess what? When I'm trying to figure out how I'm to communicate Christianity, I'm going to go to the words of Christ, because he's the gold standard, right? How did Jesus refer to God, his Father? He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I'm going to refer to God the Father in the same manner that Jesus refers to God the Father, and I'm going to refer to him as Father, not Mother, not some gender-neutral reference. I'm going to follow the lead of Jesus. And oh, by the way, the incarnation of God among us, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us, is the Son of God, not the daughter of God. It's Jesus, a male. So it's just a fact. Follow the Bible and refer to God the way Jesus himself does, and refer to God the way the Bible, the Scriptures, tell us to. End of story. And nobody within the Church, you, me, or otherwise, should be saying anything different. Well, you know, the, the the only people I think who might be able to argue with you and say something different are those who are not literally Christians. Um, you may be people of faith, you may believe in a God, you may believe in God, maybe even our God, but if you don't believe in Christ as his Son, in Christ as his Savior, you are therefore not a Christian. And so the word of Jesus wouldn't be the final word. The word of Jesus wouldn't be the final authority because you don't believe him to be uh, God's actual Son. So anybody, including the Church of England, though, that professes is Christianity, you're spot on. If you profess your belief in and you share and spread the word of Christ as Christians, then use his word as the final word on what sex he is, what sex his, uh, you know, God the Father is, and, uh, and stop trying to argue with him. Otherwise, just go ahead and declare yourself a non-Christian if you don't believe that Christ himself knows who and what he and his Father are. So, and and the, the interesting thing about what you just said, even atheists agree with you. Thoughtful, honest atheists, and the author, well, no, it wasn't the author of the article that you and I are talking about, but they refer to an atheist at the end of the article who says, this is balderdash, this nonsense coming out of the Church right now is crazy talk. Even this atheist recognizes that the Church and the Bible 
Jesus defines Christianity in the terms therein. Nobody else does. And an honest atheist is actually calling out the Church of England and saying, you guys have lost your mind. What are you talking about? Dr. Piper, I'm going to squeeze one more matter of faith in, or at least with the church, uh, uh, before we take our time out here and then come back and talk about the presidency and the, the race. Um, this is a new story uh, in the post-millennial reporting on um, a whistleblower who has informed that the FBI, our federal law enforcement agency, believes that white supremacy is being practiced most by Catholics who prefer Latin masses. They've narrowed it down, they say, taking their findings from the Southern Poverty Law Center, of course, which has cited uh, was cited in an uh, intelligence bulletin. Catholics who prefer Latin mass are classified as radical traditionalist Catholics per the FBI and are painted as having an adherence to anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBTQ, and white supremacist ideology. So how about that? Now, I never learned the, 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 the Catholic Mass in Latin. I guess that's good. I guess that kind of clears me of being a white supremacist. But if you learned it in Latin, and if you prefer to have it said in Latin, well, you're in trouble. Well, it, 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 we could go a thousand directions on commentary on that. But bottom line is, they're taking it all the way back to what? The Latin Mass. They're taking it back to Western civilization. They're taking it back to the dawn of Christendom, and they're saying anybody who believes in those things as being good rather than evil is a white supremacist. This is the nature of the debate right right now. I mean, you've got a professor up in Boston who says two plus two equals four is the product of white supremacy. So logic, rationality, um, the, the Latin heritage that we all share, it's all the product of white supremacy. And if you go back to Christendom, and the church's influence on Western civilization, well, that's all just white supremacy, too. We need to get rid of all that, start worshiping like the Mayans did, and start sacrificing human beings like it, and worshiping Satan like they did in the Grammys. That would all make us better people, wouldn't it? Again, it's nuts. It, it is exactly that. Dr. Piper, we'll take our time out here. I want to come back. I know you have been very, very uh, distressed by uh, a comment, a recent comment, or at least an online comment made by the former president of the United States against a potential political rival, I, too, am very put off by that. I want to get your thoughts on it as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten twenty-five now, continuing for just a few more minutes with Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, you and I don't always or even often talk about politics, you know, uh, in terms of elections and these kinds of things. We're talking about culture matters, talking about faith matters, societal matters, and so forth. But uh, you, like everyone else, has a thought on on who our leaders leaders should be. President Trump, former President Trump, has uh, already taken to you know attacking Ron DeSantis, who is perceived by most to be his number one rival in a potential GOP primary. And it's one thing to criticize him and to call him sanctimonious and these kinds of things, but this one may have taken it uh, a little bit too far, particularly for where we are in this situation, as uh, President Trump reposted a Truth Social. Um, uh, picture, photograph, and article that portray Ron DeSantis as being a child groomer because he posed for a picture with some of his senior high school students back when he was a teacher <clears throat> uh, in uh, Georgia at a boarding school when he was in his early 20s. So this picture, of course, means that he is trying to uh, uh, corrupt these young 
uh, pretty uh, high school seniors that he is with. That makes him a groomer. That was the implication of the of the uh, article and the picture, and that is what President Trump mockingly posted not once but twice. Um, I know you didn't like it. Tell us. Uh, it's just Bush League. It's Bush League. I can tell you this. I was a dean of students in my earlier career when I was in my 20s. Okay. And as a result of being a dean of students, um, I was often in um, environments, uh, my wife and I were, where there were students who were two and three years younger than me, 18-year-old college students. And I've, there are pictures out there where I've got, I'm smiling with the, other stu- with the students that I'm supervising. Does that make me a groomer? I mean, my land, stop. This is just character assassination to the extreme. There's no evidence whatsoever that Ron DeSantis was doing anything wrong other than standing there and having a picture taken of himself with some of these students of his. And, oh, by the way, they have a bottle in their hands, so the assumption is is that they're drinking. The bottle is an IBC root beer bottle, and that isn't being disclosed in the story or in the meme that Donald Trump is reposting. This is shameful. It's shameful that Donald Trump would stoop to this level. It's wrong. It's character assassination, and it's breaking the rule of Ronald Reagan, whatever he said, the 11th Commandment, or whatever he said it was, that you never do this to a fellow Republican. And Ron DeSantis responds in a classy fashion and says, hey, I'm busy taking on the policies of Joe Biden and the wacky Democrats. They're destroying our freedom and destroying our lives. I'm not out there wasting my time attacking fellow Republicans. That's the way Ron DeSantis responds in a mature and healthy fashion to this character assassination by Donald Trump that you know is what this, foolish and misplaced. You know what this reminded me of immediately when I saw this, Dr. Piper, is something that President Trump should have been very, very familiar with. His choice for Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh was savaged and was called everything but from an alcoholic because there were pictures and people saying that he drank when he was in college, Dare how dare he, an alcoholic and a rapist. That in fact, he may have run a rape ring where they did this on several occasions and several weekends in a row. They did everything they could to destroy his choice for Supreme Court justice. Uh, he watched it happen. He defended him. And now here we are. When he's in a potential race, remember, Ron DeSantis is not a declared candidate, against uh, a very popular conservative, he is almost resorting to the same exact tactics. Going to go back to his college years, or in this case, his young 20s when he was teaching at a boarding school. He's posing with girls. One of them is holding a brown bottle. Therefore, Ron DeSantis a groomer? No way. The sarcastic way. And then, of course, the uh, tweeting or reposting another article in which it was much more directly said, he's a groomer, or this is Ron DeSantis grooming. One would think that after watching what happened to Kavanaugh that he would be a little more sensitive to this. He should be. Spot on. Great analogy. Great comparison. The bottom line is President Trump has the opportunity to hand the baton to a next generation of excellent Republican candidates and leaders. And rather than doing that, he's doing this garbage, uh, engaging in character assassination. Exactly. I, I would even take it a step further than you. It's not similar to what they did to Kavanaugh. It's almost an exact carbon copy. Yeah. I defended Brett Kavanaugh, and uh, I'm defending Ron DeSantis. This is inexcusable no matter who is doing it. If it's the left doing it or if it's former President Trump doing it, it is inexcusable and it needs to stop. Dr. Everett Piper, on point as always, good sir. Thank you so much for the time. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. Blessings to you as well. 1030, we'll take a news timeout. We'll come back. And we've got phone lines opened up right now for the next 30 minutes. We will have a guest coming on from Americans for Prosperity after 11 o'clock. 
about Biden's state of dis, uh, the state of confusion rather speech that he gave. Uh, but right now, the phone lines are yours. 216-901-0945. Right back. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, it is uh, 1036. Always Right uh, Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us. Thanks to Dr. Piper. Terrific analysis, as always. We're going to talk with uh, AFP, that's Americans for Prosperity, uh, coming up at 1110. So I'm looking forward to that conversation as we break down the Paco Lies uh, or the Lie Fest 2023, whatever you want to call the state of confusion address from Joe Biden. So we're going to talk to Akash uh, Chogali, right? Chogali? Chogale. What did I say before? Chogali. I was right. Chogali. Akash Chogali is the uh, vice president of uh, AFP, and we're looking forward to that conversation at 1110. Uh, this one is open, but I do want to hit something super quick. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. you want to get in today, this is the time to do it right now. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Respond to anything we've done so far. This one needs to be brought up. Um, there is a battle uh, in our in our society right now, as you well know. We call it the culture war sometimes. I talk about that with Dr. Piper. It's... Um, it's it's really for it's really a war for the uh, the children's souls of our country, and as such, it's a war for our country's future because these kids, however they're warped or however they're raised in traditional moral uh, um, values, um, they're they're gonna they're gonna take that country or this country down that path uh, inevitably. You, know, you and I may not be around to see it, <clears throat> but obviously. Um, there is going to be a legacy that we leave behind. And our legacy is going to be one of either standing up to the most grave threat that our culture and our society have ever faced, or it's going to be one of capitulation and laying down and allowing our culture to be erased. That will be our legacy when we are gone. When history, I talked about this, Dr. Piper, when history records, if history is allowed to record accurately and not be completely bastardized like they tried to do with the 1619 Project, trying to say that that's the real history of the United States, despite historians debunking it six ways from Sunday. Um, if historians are allowed to accurately record this time in our in our history, in our in our in our country, in our culture, um, we are either going to go down as the saviors of the republic or we're going to go down as those who let it be destroyed. Right? Sarah Huckabee Sanders said in her response to Joe Biden on Tuesday that we are fighting a culture war that we did not want. We're fighting a culture war we did not start. We didn't choose this. We didn't pick this fight. We were perfectly happy to let science be science. Let biology be biology. Let religion be religion. Let people be free to practice it as they see fit. Let the culture that became the greatest civilization in the history of humankind continue on. Yes, improving itself in various ways. We have improved so much, of course, from days of, of, uh, uh, of inexplicable evil like days of slavery. Of course, that's not unique to our culture either. In fact, that is something that actually makes us similar to every other culture in humankind. Going back eons, thousands of years, maybe not eons, but thousands of years, virtually every culture has had the evils of slavery. Um, 
And yet the left wants us to take full ownership of that as if it's uniquely an American thing. The transatlantic slave trade was the only slavery that ever existed, and it was based in race. When it was not, it was based in power. That's why there were black slave owners of black slaves. That's why there were black slave traders of black slaves. It wasn't racist. It was specifically power over those who could be conquered, just in the same way that people of all colors and ethnicities and nationalities have been enslaved throughout time. I don't want to hover too much on slavery. My point is we, we, we got better than that. We improved from that. We rectified that. We righted that. And now we are the greatest civilization, a great force for good, of equality. It's why we are the destination nation of every single nation on earth. Anybody who is trying to escape the situation they're in in their own country, they look to the American dream. They want to come here because we do it right. And yet the left wants us to think that we are absolutely abhorrent, that we are irredeemably racist, we are irredeemably bigoted and biased, and they're willing to start this culture war for us. And they want to wipe out everything that is good, that is true, and that is beautiful, and that has been since the advent of this country and and its evolution. They want to wipe it all out. They want to erase the existence of women from being biologically God-created and uniquely special to whatever somebody feels like being. And whatever somebody says uh, that they, they want to be, they can be. Completely disrupting biology, the nuclear family, and more. These are culture wars that they are fighting very, very hard in Hollywood. They're fighting very, very hard in the, inter- the music industry. And they tried to celebrate that on the Grammys night a couple of nights ago or a few nights ago. I don't know what night it was. I didn't watch it. As you can imagine, I'm sure you didn't either. But if you did see any of the quote-unquote highlights or lowlights, it was an homage to Satan. Literally, they donned satanic garb and sang songs, and they called it uh, the unholy or something like that. Um, the wokest of the woke went there, and they did a televised homage to Satan. Well, Joy Reid, who is one of the far-left freak show hosts in uh uh, at NBC, at MSNBC, decided that the Grammy Awards proved that this holy war, or not the holy war, the uh, culture war is over, and that they've won. We've lost. They declared victory because they got on TV and and exposed and promoted and, and performed deviancy, uh, repulsive, anti- biological um, messaging and awarding to to the public. They went on TV, so therefore it's over because they were allowed to do it. This This is the argument that they are making that she made specifically. And good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with a big thank you to my friend Michael Steele for steering the Starship readout last week and with last night's Grammy Awards. Now, I hadn't watched in years, but I actually really enjoyed it. Although I'm not sure everybody else did. It was, to put it mildly, a celebration of the very thing the American right has turned into its latest anti-wokeness boogeyman. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. You mean satanic, secular pornography. The show opened with Puerto Rican singer Bad Bunny singing 99% in Spanish. 
Then host Trevor Noah walked and talked through a room that was diversity, equity, and inclusion in human form. The first country Americana artist to perform, Brandi Carlisle, was introduced by her wife and daughters. We saw the first trans artist win a Grammy, Kim Petras, who has a hit song with Sam Smith, the British singer who came out in 2019 as non-binary. Black acting superstar Viola Davis became an EGOT, winning a Grammy to add to her Golden Globe, Oscar, and Tony Awards. Lizzo performed with her amazing choir of many-sized singers. Beyonce took home her 32nd Grammy to become the most Grammy-decorated singer of all time. Besting, and I had to look this up, Hungarian-British conductor George Solti. Record of the Year went to Harry Styles, a British male singer who frequently puts on dresses to pose in magazines and is a sex symbol to women and men because of it. And there was a 15-minute epic tribute to the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. So, yeah, the culture wars are over, and the left won. Like, total defeat. <laughs> That's her declaring victory because all of those things happened in a left-wing vacuum. In a left-wing vacuum or echo chamber. All of those things happen. The celebration of freakiness, the celebration of pornography, the celebration of, uh, of uh, grooming and groomers, all of these things happen, and she declared that means they've won the culture war because they went on TV and did that. And I want to point this out because it, it needs to be pointed out, and I apologize to, to poor Joyless Reed for having to pee all over her victory parade. But in 2019, just three years ago, the Grammys drew 20 million viewers. 20 million viewers. Since 2019, as they have gotten more and more woke, more and more brazen, more and more pornographic, more and more um, pushing the envelope of diversity, inclusion, and equity, which can be abbreviated to die, their ratings have proceeded to die. In the three years since their peak of 2019, in which they had 20 million viewers, they have now averaged half that amount. They have averaged 10 million viewers per year in 2020, in 2021, in 20, or, uh, yeah, 2021, 2022. This 23, this is 2023, but obviously it's the, uh, celebration of the 2020 musics, music, uh, awards. 2022, beg your pardon. Point being, in the last three Grammys, however you want to put that in years, in the last three Grammys, they've averaged 10 million. Whereas in 2019, before they got as crazy out of control woke as they are, they had double that amount. Joy Reid, you need to understand, you're not winning this culture war because you perform like a bunch of circus sideshow freaks on television. You're losing this culture war because you have driven away the American audience. The American audience has, has seen your performances and fully rejected them. They've rejected your identity politics of sizeism, racism, transism ageism, and all the other isms you can come up with. They've rejected your phobe comments, transphobe, uh, homophobe, um, you know, xenophobe, they, they, uh, fatphobe. 
They have heard your message. They have seen your message. You've put it on TV, and they have turned it off. How are you declaring victory when nobody wants it or is watching it or is supportive of it? We're a nation of 335 million people. 20 million of them gathering around a TV set to watch the Grammys three years ago. That was, yeah, that's a sizable number. In TV ratings, that's a sizable number. Half of that at 10 million is not. And that's what you've averaged for the last three Grammys. So all of the crap that you just said that proves that the culture war is over and you're declaring victory, keep on declaring it. Because you know who the the least worrisome opponent that one would have in a war is? And you're calling this a culture war. Sarah Huckabee Sanders the other night referenced this culture war. Do you know who the least worrisome opponent in a war is? It's an opponent who thinks they've already won. When you think you've won and you think you're in control and you act accordingly, you're done. You're vulnerable. And that's when you get taken out. Joy, you're not winning this culture war. You're losing it. Decency and morality and biology are winning this culture war. You don't believe me? Take a look at those numbers a second time and tell me if you think America is embracing the filth and the trash that you brag about putting on television a few nights ago. Tell me if you see America embracing it or rejecting it. Then tell me whether or not you still want to plan that victory parade. It's 10.50. I'll be right back. 10.53. Onward, we roll. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. I want to go down to Houston, Texas. That's where my good friend Will is hanging out. He listens to our program on the Internet and uh, chimes in occasionally. Will, welcome. Good morning. Go right ahead, my man. Good morning, my friend. Can you hear me okay? I got you fine, yeah. Awesome. Okay. A um, couple of things, man. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned you mentioned about this this culture war that we're in. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. You're breaking up on me, Will. You still there, bud? Uh, yeah. No, no, we got a bad connection right now. I'm going to put you on hold, we'll, or or maybe we'll, yeah, we'll put you on hold. We'll see if we can work this out. Get to a better location and see what happens. I want to get you on the air, but I can't do it that way. Uh, to uh, Cleveland, TC, a little closer to home. TC, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Yes, um, I was going to re- respond to about the Latin Mass. Yes, please, go FBI ahead. To... Yeah, the FBI says if you're a Catholic <laughs> who prefers a Latin Mass, you are a part of white supremacy. Well, the reason I think they're doing that is like 1% or 2% of the Catholics go to Latin Mass. And so there's a small group they can attack first and then they go up to the big pie later. Mm-hmm. But anybody who goes to Latin Mass would know that these people are not violent people. You know, they're very uh, religious in the tradition of the Latin church, uh, the Catholic Church in the old ways. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. I mean, I first went to one about a year ago and I just fell in love with it. And ever since, I've been going to church as much as I could to Latin Mass. Now, did you grow up learning and, Latin? I, and I don't or have you, Latin. Oh, there you, that's what I was going to say. Did you pick it up? Did you learn Latin at some point, well, or did you learn I, it from learning, the mass itself? But, you know, they have a booklet that goes in Latin, and then the next, right, you know, on the left page is Latin, and the right page is English. So you can follow that way, that way. It's just uh, the whole, it's a beautiful service. It's the old tradition. It's 1,500 years old. 
you know. So it uh, goes back to when I was a little, little kid, and I don't remember all of that back then. But it's, uh, I just fell in love with it, and I enjoy it, and I, I go as much as I could. Yeah, so, well, but, you know what, I can tell you, nobody... Go ahead, Bob. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I was just going to say you are are like so many uh, who who really just love the beauty of the Catholic Mass. It's not taught Latin isn't taught in Catholic schools anymore. As a matter of course, you can find some that will, but it's not uh, taught as a matter of course. I went to Catholic school, so did my wife, so did my kids, and they don't teach Latin anymore. But many in the older generation prefer that Latin Mass. It is a, it is beautiful. If you don't understand it, you try to pick it up as you go. And uh, many who were taught ca- uh, Latin in Catholic schools. Uh, uh, back in the day, still prefer it. And for the FBI to listen to, and thank you for the call, my friend. I got to go, TC. For the FBI to listen to the SPLC, that's the Southern Poverty Law Center, that is the far left wing group that designates what group is a hate group and what is not, to say that Latin mass worshipers are white supremacists because their beliefs are rooted in anti LGBT and racist and this and that and the other uh, ideology is beyond, uh, it's, it's a bridge too far. But that's what they're saying. Uh, Sally is in Berea next. Hi, Sally, good morning. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. The culture wars are just gaining momentum. And even um, the English language is being threatened, even by uh, some of the editors of the Webster Dictionary. And some of the meanings of words are just being totally changed. And one example is the word mankind. Everybody knows that doesn't mean all males. That means right. everybody. Yeah, shortened, for, shortened, from, shortened from humankind. The word man is, of course, right. taken from human. Yeah. Right. And one example, um, people have trouble with founding fathers and saying that that's the beginning of patriarchy. And in it, essence, they're ignoring the fact that at home, when these brave men went off to fight the Revolutionary War and to create documents such as the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, there were women, wives and sisters and children back home that were keeping the home fires burning and supporting and blessing them. And so it was a full participation of people that wanted to found the principles of our our great country. And so it's just um, too bad that, that people attack everything with the word masculinity um, as being sexist because it's not. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. I, and you're right, it is not, and I appreciate that. You've uh, articulated it very well. Thank you, Sally. Let's go to uh, John this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, John, go ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. The beginning of the poor program, you referenced the Holocaust deniers. Yeah, and it it President Eisenhower at that time, the Allied Supreme Commander, mm-hmm. who went over uh, the army, and he came upon the dead and starving at the at Auschwitz, and he said, "Make photographs, take many photographs." Because there will be those who, in the years to come, that will proclaim this never happened. Well, yeah, uh, and and you know, and maybe it's because it was. And thank you for the call, my friend. Too horrific to um, uh, to admit ever happened, or that it was allowed to happen, or that it was allowed to go on as long as it did before it was stopped. 
but yeah, he did know, and many did know that that in future generations, you know, whether it be decades down the line or hundreds of years down the line, yes, the people will try to whitewash that chapter from our history, and it needed to be documented. And why? Well, because of what we have all said. I think every decent human, every Judeo-Christian certainly has all agreed with since that time, and that is never again. That simple two-word motto, never again, is what is is driving us to make sure that the Holocaust is forever remembered and memorialized. If those horrors are allowed to, to dissipate from history's memory, well, then you might see it again. And that is what we must stop. Okay, thank you for the call, John. It's 11 o'clock. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back. Let's get into the lies of Joe Biden on Tuesday night in the State of Confusion Address. We're going to talk with Americans for Prosperity coming up on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three now underway at 11 minutes past 11 o'clock. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. It's a Thursday, the ninth morning of the second month, year of our Lord, 2023. Hope you understand why I do that, by the way. I've been doing this for years on radio. Years. That I announce the date at the top of every hour. And it's only so that I can say the words, Year of Our Lord. I was watching a movie, uh, I don't even remember when, like a week or two ago. No, it wasn't a movie. Take that back. It was uh, it was a documentary video uh, that I was watching. And it was a history. I'm, I'm into history. It was a history thing. And they kept referring to C.E., uh, which, of course, is, uh, you know, what they uh, uh, they call the Common Era, uh, and then BCE, before Common Era, because they changed it years and years ago, because they didn't want us referencing Christ. They didn't like the fact that we started keeping time when Jesus Christ was born, and that is how we have done it, well, had done it ever since, for, for 2,000 years. That's when we started tracking time. There was time before Christ, and there was time in the in uh, in Christ, or within the year of our Lord. That's where it came from. Anno Domini A.D. Um, is Latin. It's funny we were talking about the Latin Mass before, and I don't know any other Latin other than Anno Domini, which is in the year of our Lord. Uh, it means since our Lord came to this earth um, in the form of Christ. And I hate the fact that they have tried to change it. It's just one of the many things that history is doing to wipe out faith, to wipe out uh, our belief in the the good, the beautiful, and the true. 
in favor of the secular, trying to tell us that um, you know time it wasn't measured when Christ was born. We're going to call it BCE before the Common Era and Common Era. So I just uh, I just I, I push back against that. It's just my little protest, my little way of saying no. We are in 2023 AD or Year of Our Lord 2023, and I'm just going to stick with that. And that's why I'm going to do it at the top of every hour, as long as I'm on radio. That is just, uh, like I said, it's my own little protest. Uh, we are awaiting uh, the call from uh, Akash. Ch- oh, we do have him. How about that? Talk about perfect timing. Uh, our guest is from uh, Americans for Prosperity. We were going to talk about some of the disinformation that was presented to us in the state state of confusion address uh, that uh, Joe Biden gave us on Sunday, or excuse me, on Tuesday. Beg your pardon. And Akash uh, Chogali is the vice president of AFP, uh, who wrote a piece for Newsweek, believe it or not, um, uh, a while back actually, talking about uh, federal. Uh, government spending uh, and trying to uh, trying to deal with inflation knew exactly what Joe Biden was going to say. It's kind of funny. We had Steve Moore, former vice, uh, former uh, senior advisor, economic advisor of President Trump, who predicted exactly what Biden would say. We had him on before the speech. It was spot on. And uh, uh, Akash Chogali did the same thing, knew exactly what this was going to be because of what Biden's policies have been. And he's here to react to it now after the fact. So Akash Chogali is the vice president of AFP joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Akash, thanks so much for the time this morning. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. So was it everything you hoped it would be or everything you thought it would be on Tuesday night? It was everything I feared it would be. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's even better. That's even better said. Go ahead. Again, you you know how this works, and I'm sure Steve Moore was spot on. Anyone who's been following this stuff long enough, Frankly, Republican or Democrat, it's kind of a dog and pony show, right? The president gets up there, takes a victory lap, strikes a couple notes of bipartisanship, uh, lays out an agenda for, you know, a partisan agenda, frankly, for the path forward. It was all of that. Here's the thing with, with President Biden. Here's, here's two things, two observations, three, I'll, I'll give you. One, the victory lap was complete nonsense, right? Regardless of what the economic, how you can spin the economic data and pick your own time frames about job creation, the American people know that his agenda is not working, right? People feel like things are happening. Prices are still high. They don't have confidence in the economy. And so that I don't think landed. His notes of bipartisanship, if you really look closely at the things that he said, it wasn't bipartisanship in general, people say, can be a good thing. It was all things that are bad policies. If you believe in limited government and free markets, it's been things where Republicans did wrong by their own voters to partner with the Democrats. I'm talking about the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill, that massive corporate welfare CHIPS Act, the trillion-dollar omnibus bill, these huge spending packages where Republicans partner with Democrats and then the trade protectionism and things like that. That stuff uh, is frankly just not the direction we want to go in. That's where he chose to go on offense on bipartisanship. And then finally, he had a chance to lay out an agenda that was reasonable and, and acknowledge the fact that we're in divided government. He did absolutely none of that. He doubled down on tax increases, class warfare, and more spending. And so none of that is really a surprise, but it's something that I think is important for conservatives to recognize uh, that they really have an opportunity to draw a clear contrast and a better path forward coming out of it. Well, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I, I was looking at some of your work in the past and uh, and looking at the article that you wrote. Uh, I mentioned it a moment ago back for Newsweek back in 2022. It was May of last year. Uh, and you talked uh, in, in some depth, <clears throat> excuse me, 
in some depth about uh, what he should do in terms of abandoning policies that were going to drive these prices higher. Here we are a year later-ish, uh, and he didn't, and things are, are as bad or worse than they have ever been. But I'm also going back to a tweet that you made the year before in 2021. All of these outrageously expensive Biden spending bills are bait and switch. More than 90% of the, quote, COVID relief bill had nothing to do with COVID. More than 90% of the infrastructure bill isn't infrastructure. And I'll add one to your tweet, which you didn't write in here because it wasn't uh, passed yet. But the, quote, unquote, Inflation Reduction Act actually does not reduce inflation. It spends trillions on uh, on uh, uh, climate change. Uh, and then you wrote, uh, they are intentionally misleading you and you were paying for it. So give him one thing. Give him credit for one thing. He's remarkably consistent in his lies from 2021 to 22 to the State of the Union just uh, on Tuesday night. No, he, that's exactly right. And, and, and we should be smart as conservatives. Think about where he went on offense. He went on offense on places where he thinks he can win over Republican voters. He spent a couple lines here and there on social issues where he sparse the left right on, on same-sex marriage and gender and things like that. But he went really aggressively on, you know, Buy America and labor unions and infrastructure spending and and corporate welfare to compete with China and all these other things. All this reckless spending sounds awfully nice when it's phrased in the form of international competition or or welfare programs that you might benefit from. They never, ever, you know, and of course, class warfare, taxes on the rich, taxes on corporations. If you're, you know, if you're a, a sort of a populist Republican voter, a lot of that stuff is going to appeal to you. Conservatives have got to know better, uh, one, that nothing is as it seems when President Biden says the rich are going to pay for it. We know what that means. The middle class is going to pay for it in higher taxes, lower wages, and, and more expensive goods. The other thing is that they have got to lay out a better agenda for what economic growth and prosperity actually looks like. You and I know what that is, right? It's reining in spending, reining in the administrative state and these unaccountable agencies. It's getting government out of the way of developing our energy abundance and energy dominance, and it's keeping taxes low so that you know entrepreneurs can thrive, people can have higher wages. We know what that formula looks like. The president did his best, best attempt to try to build a left-wing agenda that can appeal to conservatives, and we've got to be sharp going forward. Yeah, but he has cut the spending, he says. Akashi, he has, uh, he has in fact, uh, uh, had a record, a record one point, what was 1.4? Uh, a trillion dollar decrease in the federal in federal in the federal deficit. Remember, that's what he told us. What he didn't tell us, of course, uh, and this is what I talked to Steve Moore about a couple of days ago. What he didn't tell us, of course, is that is only in relation to the record increase in the federal deficit that he himself was responsible for the year before. The you know the uh, the metaphor for it being, I gained fifty pounds last year. This year, I've only gained twenty five. Therefore, I'm losing weight. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And again, if you don't pay close attention, then you might fall for a line like that. But I think the American people know that the, the administration has spent nearly $5 trillion with T, $5 trillion over the last two years. And that spending is the reason that everything is so expensive when it's coupled with their energy regulations, the labor regulations, and all these other things. Um, but again, he, the, this entire speech was an attempt to try to mislead people on his economic record. The only way that it worked is if there is no alternative. And we've talked about this for the 2024 election too, right? If there is not a better alternative, a better vision, and a better path forward to address the problems the American people are concerned about, then Joe Biden's game is going to succeed. We are uh, talking about Joe Biden's economy as he tried to paint it or portray it in Tuesday night's State of the Union address. Uh, Vice President of Americans for Prosperity, Akash Chogali, is our guest. Um, 
Akash, I want to hit the inflation part of this, too. I actually had to post this because a lot of people did not know this. Uh, and I posted it on my social media right from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that in in uh, Janu- January of 2021, which is when Joe Biden was sworn in, the, the inflation rate was 1.4%. 1.4%. And you can track it month by month over all of 2021 as it increased to 2%, to 3%, to 5.5%, to I think 6.5% by the end of 2021. And then we got into 7s and 8s and 9s in the peak um, of last year, 2022. And yeah, it has gone down in the last six months, and it now sits at 65 But what he does here in the double speak you're talking about is he says, look what we're doing. We've decreased inflation every month for the last six months, as if he took over six months ago. He wants credit for decreasing it from 9.1 to 6.5, but he wants nobody to know that he increased it from 1.4 to the 9.1, and now ultimately to the 6.5. That's exactly right. And here's the thing. The American people are simply not going to believe what they hear on television news from the president when they can look at their own pocketbooks, their own wallets, and know that over the last two years, just because of inflation, the additional spending because of inflation has cost the average family more than $10,000 over the last two years. $10,000 in additional expenses over the last two years because of inflation increasing costs. That's not something you're going to turn on political news and be dissuaded of because you know how it's impacted your own family. But again, the only answer that was laid out by the president the other night was, Let's tax the rich. Let's tax corporations. Let's create more welfare programs. If you think that that's the only option to help you, then you're going to fall right in line. That's the challenge for Republicans going forward. What are they going to do to raise wages, create jobs, rein in inflation, lower costs, make this country better off? We know what that looks like. It's freeing up our energy industry. It's making sure that entrepreneurs can thrive. It's getting government agencies out of the way. It's reining in the reckless spending. They've got to lay out and pass an agenda, at least in the House where they're in control, pass that agenda and draw that contrast to the president as we head into next year. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, the discussion is on with respect to the debt ceiling increase in exchange for some of these cuts to spending. How how long do you expect that fight to last, and what do you think the ultimate outcome uh, will be? Yeah, absolutely. So that that fight is just getting started. You're going to hear a lot of media hysterics. Um, It doesn't really get to be a a serious sort of last-second conversation until we get into the summer. The president was being completely unrealistic for divided government, saying he won't accept anything other than a clean debt limit increase. If he at least said he's willing to acknowledge the fact that we need spending cuts, then you could maybe take him semi-seriously and say, okay, we'll have the conversation at another time. But this is the only leverage Republicans have. And I think while we may not get everything we want, and you've got people asking for things that are frankly completely unreasonable when the Democrats control the Senate and the White House, I do think we are going to be able to get some spending concessions through because that's what it's going to take to raise the debt ceiling. One thing I would point people towards is a bill called the Trust Act, T-R-U-S-T. It's an acronym. The Trust Act would create these bipartisan commissions to address the insolvency of our biggest trust funds, the Highway Trust Fund, Social Security, Medicare. That's something that doesn't involve entitlement cuts, doesn't involve huge cuts overnight, anything like that. But it creates a pathway towards fiscal sustainability. It has bipartisan support, something the president should be able to get on board with. Those are the kind of ideas I think ultimately Republicans end up trading for an increase in the debt ceiling. And I think that's completely reasonable in divided government. Akash Chogali is my guest, Vice President for Americans uh, for Prosperity. Uh, last question. Um, 
he mentioned uh, in the same way he did with inflation that you know uh, gas prices are down a dollar fifty from their peak again, ignoring the fact that he took it to its peak from two thirty nine to five oh one or five oh five or whatever it was, and now it's three fifty. He wants you to think that he came into office with it five oh five, and this is his work. Um, I want to I want to want to see if you can bring any context to his report and his claim and his statement that the oil companies have made record profits, you know, two hundred billion dollars or whatever it was, while Americans are paying these extraordinary prices. Trying to pin the blame on the oil companies themselves. Can you provide context to that, and then also speak to his belief? And this is frightening to me that we're only going to need oil in the United States of America, for our country to run uh, for about another decade. That within a decade, 10 years, he said this, 10 years, we won't need oil anymore. I guess everything will be able to be powered by solar and wind, um, unless he's got another plan I'm not aware of. But this is what he said. Any context? Yeah, again, I'm laughing out loud. The Republicans laughed out loud. I think many in the press even laughed out loud at that idea. We get more than three-quarters of our energy from fossil fuels in this country. That's not going away anytime soon. So the president was just trying to have it both ways, appeal to the far-left radical environmentalists, and acknowledge the fact that we still rely on fossil fuels. Again, as far as the record profits, you've heard this over and over again, and every single industry has been hit with this attack. Record profits don't go up in times of inflation, right? It's not like farmers are making a killing because the price of eggs is high or that You know, the people that make toilet paper were making record profits because toilet paper costs were high last year during times of inflation. They are recouping what are literally decades-old investments, hundreds of billions of dollars in investments that, for a time, weren't making anything back, right, during the economic downturns of 2008, during the COVID crash, the post-9-11 era. That's how far back some of these investments in the energy industry go. Um, And so it's completely short-sighted and, frankly, just more of the same class warfare to say that oil company profits are why gas prices are high. No, the reason gas prices are high is because from day one of your administration, he waged war on the oil and gas industry, banning new drilling on federal land, banning offshore drilling, canceling the Keystone Pipeline. You know, decision after decision after decision, you know was constricting the supply of energy in this country. That, plus the reckless spending, of course, was going to drive up the price of gas. That has nothing to do with why oil companies are taking in profits you know, many times what they were during the economic downturns. He's trying to deflect the blame away from his own administration onto groups that people don't like. But frankly, the American people, I think, are smart enough to know that gas prices are high because of his spending and his energy regulation, not anything else. Akash, are you are you trying to tell me you're you're trying to convince me that this had something to do with the high energy costs in this country? You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? Come on, man. You don't really believe that, do you? No, and, and, and there are multiple sound bites like that of him. And he has the right to appease to his far left. Those are the ones calling the shots in the White House. Those are his staff. Those are the activists driving the agenda. Uh, and it, it's just simply not only completely out of touch with where the country is at today, it's completely out of touch with where the country is going to be for the foreseeable future if we are going to make life affordable, reasonable, and comfortable not just for all Americans, especially for the poorest Americans, right, who need to drive to work and heat their homes and do so at a low cost. And can't afford a $60,000 electric vehicle, which, oh, by the way, is going to have to be powered by electricity, which, oh, by the way, is going to be provided by fossil freaking fuels. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Yeah, I would have played the full montage of the clips you're talking about there if we had more time, but unfortunately we don't. Uh, Vice President of Americans for Prosperity, Akash Chogali. Uh, Akash, thank you for bringing the uh, context to that. That was a terrific explanation about the oil companies as well. We appreciate it very much, and we'll talk to you soon. 
Thanks for having me on. Thank you. That's Akash Chogali, Vice President of Americans for Prosperity. I'm getting used to saying the name now. It's spelled with some vowels in some places. It makes me want to say it differently, but I figured it out. It's Akash Chogali, and he did a great job. It's 1128. Always Right Radio continues on AM 1420, The Answer, after this. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Yes, indeed. Final segment at 1136. We're going to take you until about 1145 and then ask Bill O'Reilly to take you home. By home, I mean to the top of the hour and Dennis Prager. Or rather, Charlie Kirk, then Dennis Prager. We got you locked up with uh, all of the uh, top conservative minds and thinkers and talkers in the business. Charlie Kirk, Dennis Prager, Dr. G, uh, then to Seculo, then, of course, to uh, Officer Tatum to stay here on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to follow up, as I promised I would, real quick before I go to the phones, on uh, the situation in Wadsworth. Um, Tom Wyand was on with me a couple of days ago talking about a, a situation that we just became aware of. We all know about part of the culture wars being the intentional grooming of young children with sexuality and trying to normalize sexual deviancy, including cross-dressing, grown adult men dressing in lingerie almost exclusively, uh, doing quote-unquote drag shows, which used to be for adults only, and now have somehow, some way, I don't know when or where or in what fashion this became acceptable, but now from adults only to bring it to the libraries and the schools and to the children. Grown men dressed in, again, lingerie, almost exclusively, sexualizing uh, their own perversion uh, in front of children with the intent on normalizing this for kids. It's also known as grooming. And this was going to happen at a bar in Wadsworth uh, called the Wadsworth Brewing Company. Tom is in Medina County. He's the executive uh, director of the Republican Party of Medina County, and this is right there in the backyard. And a um, whole lot of conservatives found out about it because they were putting up posters. Uh, the organizer of this event was putting up posters on businesses all over Wadsworth. And uh, everybody became aware, and to say that this became a point of contention is an understatement. It is now a massive fight on Facebook. It got so much so that people started letting the Wadsworth Brewing Company know that they're about to lose a whole lot of business because of this. Because people aren't going to patronize a place that is going to allow a show like this that targets children, and that's exactly what it does. In fact, in the um, advertising and in the promotion of this, the organizer of the event specifically says the words, uses the words, bring the kiddos. They want this for children. They're going to read the kid to the kids a, a secular humanist book, um, which, of course, means this is also an anti-God book. This is a celebration of secularism and atheism. The drag queen, by the way, that they had booked for this show, for this event, on March 11th at this Wadsworth Brewing Company, um, was uh, a freakier version of the typical drag queens. This person was called, essentially, the, um, uh, I'm paraphrasing it now, the drag queen of the, of the macabre, or mistress of the macabre, something like that. Uh, and, of course, we know what that means. This is going to be basically a celebration of uh, of death. It's satanic. Uh, death and, and torture and horror, that's what the macabre is. So this is all being geared toward children. And, well, people let the brewing company know how they feel about it and told them they were going to lose about a lot of money, the brewing company. Uh, 
uh, got the message loud and clear and canceled the event. Now, the part of the story that you need to know is that the brewing company didn't cancel the event because they saw the light. They couldn't do that. The brewing company canceled the event because they knew they were going to lose a ton of money. And when they knew they were going to lose a ton of money, they couldn't say that. So they said, well, it's because we're being threatened. We're being threatened by these bigots in the right-wing community. They're threatening us. The statement on their website from yesterday was, Recently, we wanted to help support a not-for-profit that helps LGBTQ people in need around our community. The safety of our staff, customers, and family need to come first. Because of threatening statements that have come to our attention, we are not hosting the event planned for March 11th. Sadly, we live in a world where people threatening you is more scary than ever before, etc., etc., etc. Well, we weren't going to let that Jesse Smollett message stand because we knew threats weren't being made. So we checked in with the Wadsworth police, not me, but this is reported me by the, to, uh, to me by the uh, Medina County Republican Party, who spoke with a council member who checked in with the police and said the police listened to all of the messages sent and, le- and left for the Wadsworth Brewing Company. The number of threats in those messages was zero. Some of the messages were described as more stern than others, but in no way threatening. So they lied about being threatened, pulling a Jussie Smollett situation, basically saying all of these bigots are out to get us. It's not true. There are just people who are trying to protect children. In fact, the message that almost everybody that opposes this type of deviant uh, uh, grooming and indoctrination and sexualization and exploitation of children, the message most of us have is 18 plus gets rid of us. If it's 18 and over, go do your thing. Go dance, go be macabre, go be whatever you want to be. Stop bringing children to it. This cannot happen. So uh, they told their little lie about uh, being threatened, but now they have at least canceled it. Now the organizer of the event has said, fine, we'll find another venue, and they did. They're not saying what it is, but they're still holding it on March 11th. They're still saying it's going to be a celebration in the square there in Wadsworth. And now, of course, the battle lines have been drawn again. And when I use the words battle lines, I want to make sure that I'm very, very clear about this. Let us continue to be what we are. And that is on the right side, moralistic and peaceful and civil. The battle lines mean that's an ideological battle, not a physical battle. There will be no threats. There will be no intimidation. There will be nothing but prayers of protest for doing this to these poor defenseless little kids in their preformative minds who have no idea what they're being exposed to. Don't let it happen. Pray and and try to make sense with your civil and peaceful arguments. Don't allow these people to win, but do not allow them to accuse us of doing anything physical or remotely intimidating to try to stop it. We can win this the right way. That's the way you win the culture wars, the peaceful way, not the Antifa way. And And that's where we are. So the Wadsworth Brewing Company is for now off the hook. They won't be hosting this event, but the event is still planned, and I know conservative groups are still planning to protest wherever it is off of the Wadsworth Square on March 11th. Um, Navy Man Norm, I don't have a ton of time here, my friend. I've got a minute, but I'll give it to you. Go ahead, sir. I'll make it quick, Bob. What I was going to say applies to uh, Biden, Biden, Joy Reid, and I guess maybe the Wadsworth Company. It comes from Proverbs 6, 12, 19. A scoundrel, a villain, is he who deals in crooked talk. 
He winks his eyes, shuffles his feet, makes signs with his fingers. He has perversity in his heart. He's always plotting evil, sowing discord. Therefore, suddenly, ruin comes upon him. In an instant, he is crushed beyond cure. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Body eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that plods wicked schemes. Navy Man Norm, I apologize, but we're not going to get to the end of the verse because we're up against the end of the show. Thank you, my friend. Hey, by the way, everybody that donated yesterday to the preborn campaign, we kept the link up. It's live right now at whkradio.com. You can still help save babies. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.